0: Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Path. <laughs> what is up, everybody? It is Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast, Thought Eater Blog. Hope you're doing well and happy Friday. Hope you had an awesome Halloween. I haven't actually had my Halloween yet because I'm recording this Halloween afternoon to make sure that it gets out Friday because I meant for this podcast to be out last Friday but was unable to get it done. So. Finally, getting around to the g m weakness episode or follow up episode, I should say a couple of Fridays ago on uh five minute Friday, I talked a little bit about what I consider my greatest g m weakness, and that is procrastination and I kind of reached out on social media and to a bunch of the other world renowned highly touted anchorites r p g anchorites, the podcast here on anchor. Uh, to ask folks, other GMs, what they consider to be their greatest weakness. And I got a lot of interesting responses, and so now I'm finally putting it all together into a little podcast for you to listen to that I hope you enjoy. I think that self-reflection is crucial, not just in gaming, but in life. And, uh, you know, there's all these books and stuff out with all this GM advice. In fact, there was a brand new one uh, recently that Monty Cook uh, put out, your greatest game ever, I believe is the title. So there's all this stuff about, you know, GM tips and everything, tons of books, but always, uh, you know, to me, you learn more by, you know, running your own session and having a terrible session. You you learn more from that session than you would, you know, reading a book. You know, you can read all the books in the world, uh, but it's no substitute for actual failure and uh, learning from your mistakes. And I just found a lot of people's responses to be really interesting, and uh, I hope you do too. And I think talking about these things, kind of reflecting on uh, your weaknesses or stuff that you can prove on is a great way to get better. So that said, I've got a bunch of messages to get to, and I'm going to kind of mix up between messages from Anchorites. I'll be reading some of the comments from folks on social media, and we'll see what everybody had to say. But first, I'm going to start with a message I got from Happy Whisk that was talking about uh, my weakness, procrastination.
1: Froth, it's Whisk. I enjoyed listening to your podcast about weakness and procrastination, and it's it's a it's a curious thing, and it's it's a whole subject. So I'm curious to see where you take it for
0: future podcasts when the GMs call in and tell you about their weaknesses. I I just think it's an interesting subject because we could we could get better. We could you have to
1: put the work in, right? The work has to go in if that's what you want. Doesn't sound like it was that important to you otherwise you would have found a way to break through the procrastination and you would be set up sooner for the game. Cuz I I believe it this way. If it's really important, then for me anyway, then I figure out a way to make it work. If it's not that important, then I'll I'll keep coasting. That is my four cents. Whisk out.
0: Ivy, the happy whisk there. <clears throat> Needs no introduction, really. Happy Whisk podcast. Um, thanks for the message. And, you know, it is a strange thing. I'll be honest. As far as just speaking for myself personally, it seems like if you really care about something, you'll be able to easily push through the procrastination. But it's not the case for me, and I got to be honest, I don't know if it is a uh, like a low grade depression I have sometimes or it's just a pattern of behavior that I've fallen into constantly throughout my life, but even with things that I really enjoy and care about or that are pressing and um there are some moments where I really it's my mind really fights itself uh to do things and um i think part of the, the reason i'm able to even kind of continually put this podcast out uh consistently is by really forcing myself into a schedule if i do not have a set schedule um, and, and be in a habit of doing it, then there, there might be, you know, long stretches of time where I don't podcast or, or do anything or just even, uh, you know, maybe it just would have, I would have just stopped. Um, so uh, it, I, I appreciate what you had to say. And I, it definitely would, it would appear that it, it might be a matter of, you know, whether I care about something, that much or not, but it really is something just, uh, with the old froth brain that is, uh, um, like I say, some pattern of behavior or some, uh, some mental froth thing going on. But, um, but anyway, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I work to overcome it. I really do. Um, uh, with my new game, I've been definitely working to overcome it, trying to break stuff up, do little bits here and there, and everything, because there are so many other things in my life that I have to do that, you know, when I'm done working or I'm done, you know, doing this, that, and the other for my daughter or whatever, it's sometimes hard for me to, uh, be motivated to, to, to do other things. Um, and I think that, that would be typical for just about anybody, but, but anyway, I appreciate the call in. Let's hear from some other anchorites. Let's go with, Legendary anchorite Colin Green from the Spike Pit Podcast.
2: Hey, Froth. How you doing? As a GM, I think pacing can be one of the hardest things to get right, something I struggle with. But is it my weakest area? I was considering that, but I think, you know what? The fact that I have not run a game online, my weakness in the realm of technology is a hindrance and this is something that i've got a crack sooner or later total inability to run a game online
0: colin green there from the spike pit podcast and that is an interesting answer because talking about online gaming being you know not being able to run one being a weakness That's something that couldn't have been a weakness, you know, really, even like 20 years ago, you know, that would never have come up. So that's like a modern, a modern weakness. And it's one that there's only one way to fix it too, is to, is to work at it. Um, I can tell you this, I don't use half, I I use roll 20 to, to, you know, to run my online games and I don't use half the doodads and tricks on there. I play in a game on Fantasy Grounds, and my god, it has got, like, I'm playing a Castles and Crusades game on there, and it's got, it's really complex, it's got all the books and everything, you can just, you know, I'm sure once you know the system, you know, Fantasy Grounds, it's easy, but, you know, it's got everything from being able to pull an item from the book, just straight onto your sheet, to... You know, have this whole section with the party loot that you just click a button and it splits amongst the party. It's got all these different mapping things and layer I mean it's 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 intimidating. Fantasy grounds is completely intimidating to me. It's not the money. I I just I don't even wanna, you know, have to try to learn it. And that that that's why I ended up with roll twenty, you know, for you know, it's free, but then it was also pretty easy to just, once I learned to upload a map and it's got the dice roller there, uh, I pretty much had the basics of what I needed and I've slowly learned a little bit more, but I still don't even mess with the dynamic lighting or any of that stuff. So I feel you on that call. And it's one of those things too, where, uh, if you try to look up the tutorials and everything, some of them are really technical and, and, you know, maybe not even as helpful as trying to just fool around with yourself, but it's something I would still encourage you to do. I know you play a lot online. I've played with you before, so um the reason I really had to learn it is because without online gaming, I would not get to play nearly, I mean, most of my gaming the last, you know, decade has been done thanks to online gaming, you know, probably, you know, 85, 80% plus of the gaming i've done in the last 10 years has been maybe not quite that much but something like that has been online uh because it's hard to find a solid face-to-face group or groups fall apart and you know you, you can cast a lot wider net online gaming and uh you get a better more you know better chance to play a bunch of different kinds of games and everything else so i'm here to provide moral support for you but it's the kind of thing where uh, the only way to to learn it is to is to fool with it and to fool with it you have to have time to do it and have time to do it you know and you see where it goes from there but i appreciate you calling in Colin, um and like i say that's an interesting one because that's like a a modern gm thing that, that could never have been someone's weakness 20 years ago um all right, so let's look at a few that I got from p- folks online. I'm not going to uh, say their names because I've mentioned before, I don't know if anyone wants to be associated with the <laughs> with the podcast, have their name spelled out like, God, no, don't do that for us. So, uh, But I had someone say that they're not very innovative on the spot. You know, Coming up with stuff on the spot is tough for, for them. And I, I I hear that from more than one person. And they say, though, this was really interesting to compensate for it They usually answer a question by asking another player the same question. So they kind of reach out to other players to help kind of build the fiction or or, or make something up. And that's an interesting technique. I'm not sure it works for every game, but that's a great way to kind of hand off your weakness to someone else. (laughs) <laughs> and maybe come up with something cool you know there are some games that i like uh that, that use similar sorts of things uh, like uh kids on bikes comes to mind with the uh you know kind of everybody doing the world building and i thought I just thought that was an interesting answer uh, an in- interesting way to compensate for what's perceived to be a weakness you know not being innovative but answering a question by asking another player the same question having them to do the ans- answer uh, I have someone saying that they over-prepare kind of the opposite of me. Maybe they waste a certain amount of time, precious time creating things that never get used in the campaign. I think for some people that's maybe the fun of it. Uh, I, I know a lot of people like doing their own world building world prep and maybe enjoy that as much or at, or more than doing the actual play, you know? uh, everybody's different. So, uh, but yeah, spending a ton of time using stuff that's never going to get used. That's one of my first, if I do give someone a GM tip, it's to not overprepare, you know, uh, I think of campaigns where I've built this elaborate thing and the players just completely ignored it. (laughs) You know, you know what I mean? I think a lot of people have been through that. So you you don't want to spend too much time, building out all these things, and then and then never have them get used, unless you're just really into world building. Uh, someone else said that they're not great at detailed NPCs. Uh, they say they're not terrible, just something they've never put enough effort into, so they've started making it more of a priority. And I think that is interesting, because, you know, detailed NPCs really help bring a game to life and when you're playing with a great GM that is able to whip up NPCs whether you know they're obviously prepared or whether they give them some good characteristics on the fly that is a great skill to have so if you feel like all your NPCs are just dull boring faceless uh you know not memorable um I usually try to come up with, you know, one or two things that kind of give them a hook or, or, you know, even maybe model them a little on something that everyone's familiar with, you know, to tell them they look sort of like this person or, uh, they talk kind of like this or give them some kind of mannerism or, you know, I mean, I know you probably, you, you do that with everybody. You end up with a kind of a, a motley crew of NPCs or everybody's weird or strange or something, but Trying to just come up with one or two things. I've seen some great random tables too where they're like NPC builder or characteristics and stuff. So if you're stuck, I'm sure if you Google around, you can find that kind of thing. Or maybe just make yourself a list prior to a game of a number of different kind of characteristics, either appearance, uh, personality quirks, um, something about the way they talk, something about their movement, uh, something about their clothing. Build yourself, I mean, if you write down 10 things in each of those categories and just keep it with your DM notes, you'll probably be covered for NPCs for, you know, multiple sessions just by doing that. So, but it is something you got to be conscious of because you get stuck having to come up with NPC on the fly. I'll tell you what my weakness as far as coming up with stuff on the fly is book titles. You know, you're in a wizard's laboratory or you're in a wizard's library and uh, there's bookshelves everywhere. Oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> one player, oh, let me go, go look at the bookshelf. And it's like, oh, God, yeah, there's this, you know, I can't even think of anything. So uh, there's, I've seen a n- numerous cool, um, uh, on the 5e DMs Guild, uh, I've seen numerous cool free, pay what you want, library and book supplements that are great where you can just roll up all these random characteristics. I mean, even what the covers are made out of and stuff like that that I've uh, since added to my toolbox to make up for that. Let's see another person saying they over prep. Uh, they're always tempted to change games to something else that's caught their eye. That comes up again later from an anchorite. We'll talk about that in a little bit and it's keeping the table moving and keep keeping everyone paying attention. And that kind of goes back to what Colin was talking about a little bit with the pacing, you know, keeping the table moving. And that is something that I think is really just an, you know, some of that depends on your players with the pace. Um, uh, if, if all your players, as far as the paying attention, if all your players just aren't really paying attention to you or whatever, uh, you know, that's on the, kind of on the players too. There, there's a level of respect. You got to expect, uh, people, people to be attentive and to pay attention or else why are they there? You know, but I, I, at the same time, you can't, Um, that's sometimes easier said than done. Sometimes you don't know a players like that until they're at the table, but keeping the table moving and everything. Some of that is, um, maybe not letting combat drag depending on the system that you're playing. And so some of that might be surrendering or fleeing. I see more and more games now where the combat is to the bitter end, to the last hit point. Doesn't make sense. You know, you got to have an idea when it's dragging in that way. And if it's dragging in other ways and it gets too much, you know, inject something into it or, or, you know, I don't know what system this person's playing or can maybe make a better suggestion. But I think keeping the, keeping the table moving and stuff is, it's kind of an art form, but it's a shared art, you know, you got to be able to rely on players to help with that kind of thing too. And uh, you got to have a sense when, if something's dragging and you can sense it right then and there. Step in and do something then. As far as everyone paying attention, you know, I I put that on the players. They need to be helping out with that. Um, Okay, let's get this back to some anchorites. Let's hear from Arfed.
2: Hi, Arfed here. Just responding to your question about GM's greatest weaknesses, um, I think my biggest problem is getting my point across or giving descriptions, um, I don't read a lot, so um, I haven't got the, a fancy vocabulary, uh, and you've probably noticed that from my call-ins to other people's shows, um, getting my point across, I think is the hardest thing. So with my latest campaign, what I'm doing is I'm going more visual, so I'm gonna use battle maps and um, handouts, or maybe pictures rather than handouts, um, and using the picture sort of approach so um, picture paints a thousand words so that's how I'm getting around it Um, hopefully that's going to be an improvement and hopefully the players are going to enjoy the effort I'll put in thanks
0: Darren Green there aka Rfed, aka Rock's Fall Everyone Dies and I always find that you express yourself very well in every interaction I've ever had with you um, Rfed. but that being said being able to be more descriptive is something that a lot of people ended up saying in fact not too long ago when i was i did a podcast on the new dark crystal and the whole thing was about the inability that i sometimes feel at being able to be very descriptive especially when you're dealing with something really fantastic and and wondrous and strange, and to be able to to describe it and have you know any give the players any kind of picture of something like that in their mind is extremely difficult. And I find myself all the time just you know kind of rushing through to where I could have spent a little bit more time. You know, <laughs> I think I used the example in the um, the podcast just talking about forest. You know, how many times have you just said forest when you could have given it more description and everything. And what I came up with is the same as you. Um, Depending on how fantastic it is and everything, using images is a great idea. It's a great way to just instantly give them a look at it, especially with some of these things, you know, like going back to the Dark Crystal. I mean, some of the sets and stuff were so outrageously amazing and bizarre and mystical. And, you know, you have to be really skilled to be able to describe that. Uh, whereas just showing a picture is super effective. I can't imagine running a D and D game or any other game without using maps. That to me, I can't imagine like D and D without having some overland hex map. I just can't, it doesn't compute, does not compute in my brain. So as far as using some kind of maps and everything, I have to, I mean, that's just part of the game to me. But using some other images and everything else, I think, is really important, and it's a great way around that, and you don't have to, you know, work so hard. Um, and then the trick, though, sometimes <laughs> becomes trying to find uh, the image that fits and everything. But but anyway, I'm sure you're doing great in your game, and, and I think using images is a great way to make up for any kind of real or perceived weakness as, as far as describing something. So thank you very much for the call in. I appreciate that. We're going to hear now from Joe Richter.
3: Yo, what's going on, Froth? I've been thinking about your question of what is my weakest aspect and where I'm lacking the most as a dungeon master ever since you asked. Um, and I'm a 1,000% sure. Well, I'm not a 1,000% sure. I'm 90% sure that it's combat. Um, And not for the reasons some folks might think. It's not because I can't see what's going on. It's just because I forget. And I forget what the monsters can do all the time. I don't play optimally, you know. um, I could probably do a better job of describing things. But I just kind of want to move through the combat as fast as possible and get on with the story which has something to say about how I run combat, which isn't a good thing. All right. Peace out.
0: That is Joe Richter there from hindsightless and the wheel or Woe podcast. And y'all might know this or might not, but, but Joe runs Pathfinder. So when you say this, all this, Joe, I'm assuming that you're talking about Pathfinder and to be honest, (laughs) If you were able to remember everything that all those monsters could do, I mean, you'd be kind of superhuman. You know what I mean? Because the the there's a level of complexity there with those monsters that's not present, like say, in old school D anD D. I mean, as you're aware, but I mean, I'm sure well, maybe listeners may or may not be aware. But my biggest barrier to running 3.5, you know, three X Pathfinder. Maybe it's alleviated a little bit in Pathfinder 2E, but those games, the monsters are very, very complex. There's multiple, you know, defense types. and All that's fine. But when you start getting into each of them having all these individual feats, if you don't have those feats memorized, you're looking something up. Spells, you're looking something up. Special conditional abilities, you know, and some of them, especially in the higher level. Yeah, you know, they've got, you know, a dozen things on their their character, you know, their monster stat block. Now, even 4th edition uh 4th edition D&D did a good job of trying to, you know, make the complex simplified, but it was still very easy to forget something or look back after the combat and look like, "Oh, I could have had a bonus to this or you know. So, I think some of that, a little bit of it is system Because I I don't think there's any... I don't even think the designers for Pathfinder probably run every monster, you know, perfectly. I'm sure they probably forget some stuff, too. So, um, but wanting to kind of breeze through the combat and get to the next thing, I've been there, too, where you kind of... It's almost like everything's building up to combat, and then I'm ready to build to the next... You know, ready to move on to the next thing while I'm still in the combat. And and, and sometimes it's hard to separate what, what... what you're feeling as a GM as to what players feel because uh, as a player, you know, you're waiting around for your turn in the combat and, and it doesn't seem sometimes it doesn't seem like it's, well, it may feel like it's dragging as a GM, you're getting to basically act every turn in some ways where where the player isn't. And so, um, you know, they're just getting their occasional moment to shine and everything. So, Uh, definitely. hmm. There's a balance there because it's come up before. You know, someone else talking about the game feeling like it's dragging, and then, you know, also realizing that you're not perceiving time the same way as a GM. But as far as I, and I'm not saying any of this to credit, be critical of Pathfinder. I like it a lot. It's just what intimidates me or kind of keeps me from. Uh, wanting to run it, and what makes me enjoy it more as a player, is partly because I don't have to worry about all the monster stuff, (laughs) so, (laughs) uh, but anyway, uh, let's see, let's get into another message, and then I'm going to read some more stuff that people said online, and again, Joe, I appreciate you calling in, but like I said, I don't have an easy solution for you, I don't want to tell you, stop running Pathfinder, you know, I know know you love it, and I like it too, but I just think that they, those monsters are so complex that I think that um, I don't think there's any way to avoid sometimes you know forgetting about some of the effects, just so many of them, especially depending on the monster. Let's hear from old John Allen Large from the Red Dice Diaries.
4: Hey, Froth, it's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listened to your episode, and as promised earlier, here's my thoughts on my biggest failing as a GM. To me, to be honest, although I've tried to get more into being a little bit more spontaneous, a little bit more freeform and prep light with my games, I'm still at heart a bit of a prepper. And the problem with that, you might say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is no matter how much I prep for a game, I never feel like I've prepped enough. Take the game I'm about to run in about half an hour, for instance. I got maps done in Roll20, monster tokens done, da 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 However... I've still got a couple of monster tokens left to do, and I'd have liked to have done a little bit more writing up on the background, even though it's firmly embedded in my head. It's just my personal foible. No matter how much planning, I never feel like I've actually done enough planning. And players enjoy my games, but, you know, I'd always like to do a bit more. So I'd say that's my biggest fault as a gem. I'm a prep addict. Anyway, take care, dude.
0: John Allen Large there from the Red Dice Diaries, and that just showed you just how different, you know, everybody's different. You know what I mean? Um, to have that feeling of never, you know, have done tons of prep and it not still not being enough. And that's just something that that's not the way my brain works. You know, everybody's brain works differently. And when I'm listening to you say it, I'm like, ah, I wish I had all these tokens and stuff done on my, I usually will just, you know, be flipping a bunch of books and, you know, so I'd, I'd love to be as prepped as you were when you weren't feeling like you were prepped enough. (laughs) So, uh, but that, that's already come up before where people say they've, they feel like they've over prepped or not, you know, that, that whole line of prep is different for everybody. So it's interesting to hear that come up so many different ways. So thanks for the call in. Uh, I got another comment on social media saying reading the table, they have their tricks, but it's never been natural. So just kind of being able to read, uh, you know, see where the the players are at and that kind of thing. Uh, someone already, you know, another person already said that as well. So that's, that's interesting. I always feel like I can read the table, but maybe I can't, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Uh, but let's see what some other people say online. Sorry. I got to just get around to it. Someone says their greatest GM weakness is Cheetos. (laughs) I deserve that, right? (laughs) Uh, someone says that their normal GM style is pretty bad at running games for small groups of people, unless they have awesome players. Um, they say it's sad because some of their favorite games when they started playing were one-on-one in a shared campaign setting and they love that style of game, but they have little problem running games with large groups of characters, 12 or more. So that's something that I... To me, I would think most people would be the opposite, uh, trying to manage huge tables. But this is someone saying that they, it's the opposite for them that they have a harder time, uh, um, you know, a harder time managing smaller groups. So let's see. Let's get to some more messages while I filter, you know, find where I'm at on some of the social media. I got to go to all these different links. Let's hear from Evil Jeff. Hey, Froth. It's
4: evil Jeff. Uh, Greatest weakness? Hopefully I'm not too late to the game here. Greatest weakness? Probably not giving my players the opportunity to look up rules themselves so they can know them and trying to have them all memorized myself. Uh, That's probably what slows down my games the most. Um, Some of it is lack of access to the rules occasionally. Um, I could make them easily available in PDF to them. Uh, I just haven't. So, yeah, that's that's probably um, player agency is not the right word to use there. But, yeah, I, I'm not helping my players help me run the game.
0: That is Evil Jeff from Minions and Musings. And that is a really interesting comment in my mind uh, because you're kind of, you know, blaming yourself for something that the player's. You know, could arguably be stepping up to do, but then at the same time, a lot of the time, you know, you're bringing the players into a new game and everything. You can't necessarily expect from them to know the game super well or to have invested a lot of money because this stuff does cost money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's kind of interesting about how much um, how much responsibility the GM has to to kind of hold players accountable to, uh, to learn certain things. And, you know, how much are you babying, babying and pampering the players to where they don't ever have to do, you know, take any responsibilities. So that, that, that is, uh, that's something to think about. Um, I usually at least give the players some kind of cheat sheet. And I'm gonna go through this kind of same thing that you're talking about um, this weekend because I've got a lot of I'm gearing up for this new Savage Worlds game. You know, probably heard me talking about. Uh, we're playing Saturday, 1980s horror comedy, broth University. Sunday I'll have a recap up if any, anybody's uh, interested in hearing about it. But anyway, only one of the play one of the players kind of knows the basic concepts of it. One player's got some a lot of experience, but everybody else, like another four or five players. Don't even know, probably only heard of Savage Worlds for the first time when I told them we were going to play it, you know? So I've had to kind of think about how much information to give them and whatever else. So I got a cheat sheet for them, uh, and I'm just going to like, let them learn as they play. But if the game was, if it was a more complex kind of combat scenario, like some of the uh, like Savage Riffs or something, or if I was playing certain other games, I wouldn't be able to get by on just letting them learn as they play. I, you know, I think you have to get more detailed. Or for some games, you probably have to actually expect players to have their book and to, to you know, it reminds me of when Colin Green was doing the you know be a good player sorts of podcasts on Spike Pit podcasts about. Uh, the expectations for players to know their characters. You know, if you're not going to know the all the rules of the game, you at least expect them to know their characters and what they're capable of. You don't want to be the GM that's like remind them, oh, don't forget you can sneak attack, or you know what I mean, it's little things like that. But so that was an interesting answer there, Jeff, um, and one that uh, hmm, one that I guess the doesn't have an easy answer, you know an easy uh an easy fix um so all right so let's see i i got some more th- some of these ones are from facebook that i got i got another person saying coming up with interesting npcs that they're horrible at voices i don't you know i'd love to be able to do i do try to do voices but i've seen great gms do um uh, really well even when they don't do voices at all like um watching uh LA by night vampire the masquerade stream um Jason something as the the GM on that he does a tremendous job and he's able to convey a lot of personality even though he doesn't make any attempt to um to do any you know s- s- you know strange voices or whatever but as far as coming up with interesting NPCs we kind of talked about that already but i would just like to point out that that's something that that more than one person said someone saying consistency uh writing and executing complicated plans which means their npcs don't ever do that uh being too rigid finding it hard to just accept changes made by the pcs often need time to process them and integrate them into the game world so yeah that kind of goes along with over if you're over prep and everything or going with these expectations that your you know your world is what it is uh, that's going to happen, you know. Um, players are ne- are always going to, it's never going to go exactly the way you planned it in gaming or in life. So, yeah, that's, um, and, and it's an easy way to not necessarily get your feelings hurt, but to, to get frustrated if you really are expecting things to go a certain way in, in a game. Um, commitment. I set up a game, but it's hard to get it going for longer periods of time. It starts to feel very awkward to pester people about planning times ahead. So yeah, that's that's a tough one. That's part of part of that one's just finding a good group, and then I think too, I this comes up again with uh, with a comment from Rob C. Actually, we'll just get right into that before I, I get into talking about keeping games going for a longer amount of time. Let's listen to Rob C.
1: Hey, froth. It's Rob from Down in a Heap. Man, I've got lots of problems. (laughs) Uh, Like you, I'm a big-time procrastinator. Um, I don't think I'm the best at describing things, so I don't think uh, the players can visualize uh, the different areas that they're in or NPCs they're encountering. I probably don't convey that with any kind of great vividness. But by far, my biggest weakness is my gamer ADD. I lose interest in campaigns very easily, whether that's because it's like perceived lack of player interest or a new shiny uh, game system or game concept, uh, campaign concept, adventure ideas, setting, um, or just getting bored with player characters in general. It all adds up and I usually peter out
0: rob c legendary ink from the down and heat podcast there and rob touched on a ton of stuff we've already been talking about i mean covered the the trying to come up with good npcs you hear that a lot being able to be descriptive talked about procrastinating and then talked about just like this other person commented on keeping a game going and the grass always being greener and and everything and I I go through the, you know, I think that's totally normal because in some ways I think it's really normal because there's so many great games out there. I mean, uh, I can't imagine being someone that just wants to stick with one game and not nothing else. You know, there are so many good games. So you're always going to have a little push and pull of, of, of wanting to try other things. Um, what happens to me is I always tell myself, I'm just going to do little mini campaigns. I'm just going to do mini campaigns. I know I'm going to be getting this in the mail. I know I want to run this sometime. I'm just going to do this for, a few, we'll play this for a few months and we'll move on to something else. I tell myself that over and over, but then I see, I have some hardback or some old box set or, or something. And I'm like, no, let's just run this. I want to run this campaign before I die, you know? And so I'll start up like mask of Nyarlathotep or or something or night below recently and you know get about a year and a half into it and it's kind of like well we probably got another year and a half of this left <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I mean I'm, I'm I'm sure and you know I have managed to get through some long term games uh some year over year games but I think I'll just be happier keeping it shorter if I can or breaking it up a little bit. And sometimes that can be hard to do because you get this great idea and you feel like it's going to last forever. And it just never, I mean, it's rare when you hear these stories, of these people that have like 30 year plus campaigns running. It's a reason that's a rare thing. I mean, there's so many great games. I think I need to force myself into shorter campaigns that way the, your weakness becomes a benefit because you're, you're guaranteed to be running more and more different kinds of, you know, running, getting to try a bunch of different kinds of games and you don't feel this pressure to keep, keep it going, uh, keep stuff going. Uh, but it's, you also mentioned, you know, being able to, you know, perceive what the players are actually thinking and feeling too. And, you know, maybe sometimes, you know, rather than make assumptions about what people are thinking, just ask them, you know, I could do a better job of that, you know, like, uh, you know, instead of just hoping everybody had a good time, try to get some feedback, you know. Um, but, I mean, it, some of it depends on the person's game group, how long they've been playing together and everything else. So, looking at a few more... Uh, thanks again for the call on, Rob. Looking at some more other things that people are saying. Working through a downturn of creativity when it seems like there are no new thoughts or stories or things they think the players will enjoy. Basically, continuing game when the suck strikes. And I think that goes back to what we're talking about, breaking it up. Uh don't ever allow it to get to the suck by maybe maybe working on some um you know, on keeping the can you know, mini campaigns of some kind. I don't know. Um it seems like some people are are forcing the game to go longer than maybe it should. Um Here's someone saying that they feel they're growing into a pretty well rounded GM, but they struggle with pre session anxiety. It's easy to psych themselves out and overthink things. But by starting fresh and staying true to the fundamentals, I always find myself in the groove. And I know this person isn't alone with the pre session anxiety. I've heard other anchorites uh, mention that and stuff before. I mean it is a I mean, you know, you kinda as a GM you do kind of have the spotlight on you. And if you're you know it's one thing if you're gaming with people that you you know you've known a long time and everything, but if you're going into maybe a convention setting with total strangers, I mean there's certain personality types that are gonna do better in some of these situations than others, and I think a little bit of anxiety might be normal. I always tell people um you know in my work um not to get into detail about what I do, but um having a little nervous energy can be a really good thing it helps you focus it sharpens you and the other thing too is to have a little anxiety and everything it shows that you care you know if you feel cool you know cool as a cucumber all the time no matter what the situation is sometimes you might it might be a reflection that you're you're not taking something seriously or you don't care about it so I think you know it's a double-edged sword, but finding that little balance of having a, that good kind of anxiety going on is, is, is a good thing. But And here's one that says, I fudge too much to steer events where I'd like them to go in order to heighten tension. Yeah, just my advice on that one just don't do it. Don't do it. Here's one that says, killing my players. I need to start killing their characters. Uh, stop being so soft-hearted when it comes to killing PCs. I tend to modify the most lethal stuff and make it less lethal. Instant kills become D8 damage or something. Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Kind of feeling guilty for killing the players. It's the kind of thing where, you know, you have to kind of set a tone and stick with it and and, and have that there from the beginning. Um, Because if you are going to keep pulling punches, and, you know, then by the time you actually do kill one, it's, you know, uh, it probably hurts them worse than it it should, you know. Um, But at the same time, you do want player choice and everything to matter, and you don't want it to, you know, you're not going to have many players at your table very long if you're just known as just a constant killer DM. Um, I guess the simplest way to say it is, you know, it's never too late to change, but, you know, have real consequences for player actions depending on what, what system you're using. Certainly, most OSR systems, the players should have an expectation that it's possible for them to die. So, you might be doing that thing where we we assume what some people are feeling and we kind of project our own thoughts on them, when in reality, if they get killed, they're totally cool and they're rolling up a character five minutes later, so... But that is an interesting um, uh, thing to cite as a weakness, you know, kind of being hesitant to hurt or kill the players. I mean nobody I mean I, nobody should just relish it and you know thrill in killing the players, but if you add a little humor to it and then make it the result of the con- not, you know of the consequences of their play, uh, then I think most players can live with it.
3: All right, let's hear from Jason. Hey, Jason here from Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So, I mean, I procrastinate too, but my biggest problem would definitely be my lack of creativity or lack of spontaneity. So, and what I mean by that is, I'm the kind of guy that thinks of the perfect response about five minutes after the joke or the comments made, right? The you know the perfect somebody will say something that requires a perfect comeback and I'll think of it a couple minutes later. I just don't have that great spontaneity and creativity to just jump out and do it. So that that's what I consider my my greatest weakness by far. Um, That and I also also suffer from the you know procrastination. But hope that helps. That's Jason there from Nerds
0: RPG Variety Cast and yeah, I mean, that's not something you can easily fix. Like, well, come on, Jason, just be more spontaneous. You know? <laughs> you know, there's no real easy solution to that. I guess, you know, you can always just try to draw from, and I'm sure, I know you do. I'm sure you do draw from other media or, you know, if a situation reminds you of something, there's no shame in, in pulling in something from a, a show or a movie or a one-liner or something like that, if if it's not, you know, if it's not coming to you naturally on your own, then, then, um, utilizing something, you know, that maybe fits the situation that you've seen somewhere else. Um, and I think sometimes too, sometimes you think about stuff after because you maybe rush a situation, you know, um, I've talked about one time, one session that I had, uh, the night below thing recently where I was, it was a really good session. And part of the reason was because I did not rush anything. I did not try to get them from point A to point B. I didn't try to hurry them through an interaction with an NPC. And it ended up the whole session kind of took a left turn and ended up doing this whole, you know, little side thing that nobody could have seen coming prior to. And, and part of that was, um, it was not necessarily, I was kind of being spontaneous in the sense that I, I, I didn't try to keep plowing ahead or forcing through a situation when it presented itself. I just kind of just slowed down and let it play itself out and it, something really special happened. So maybe, maybe, um, the pace there is, is, something that that can help with that. Um, let's see some other, other and I appreciate you calling in, um, as always got another person saying prep they're good at improvising but they're bad at pre-planning they like being low prep but they often feel unsettled they don't have a good pre-session checklist or something yeah it's a it's a balance there i think to try to come up with you know to know i was thinking about this today people running these con games where they say it's four hours you know and like how do you know it's going to be exactly four hours you know without having play tested it or whatever you know thinking about certain call of cthulhu scenarios that i've run where it can take one group a full session and then another group you know an hour and a half you know it's sometimes it's it's kind of hard to uh and maybe having a session checklist or something like that like this person mentioned is a good idea of or or having A couple of planned things and then a few things on the side, you know, depending on if if you're having to fill a set amount of time or whatever, but um, I'd say if you're good at improvising and not as good at the pre-planning type of prep, that uh, you're still winning. (laughs) (laughs) I have another person saying narration. Uh, I have a feeling that's got to probably do with the description and everything else too. Lack of patience for players who have come from other games and struggle to adapt. Yeah, being patient, that's a huge part of being a GM. That's just something you just got uh, you to, you know, comes with time, I guess. Or um, or if you got players that just don't fit, sometimes you got to just let it go. You know, and that goes back to the online gaming. You know, the great thing about online gaming is it's an infinite amount of players to draw from. Sometimes I'll hear people talk about, you know, how a game's not going well down at the game shop or whatever, and they got a problem player and in a situation that, like that, and it's a lot harder to kind of get rid of someone. And sometimes you get stuck with it, and you just have to adjust your personalities or quit yourself uh, if you have a personality conflict. But um, online gaming, you don't have as many issues with that. Someone saying they're, they're okay at improvising but wish they were better at it uh, in doing detailed descriptions. That comes up a lot, you know. A lot of people with MPC issues and a lot of people with detailed descriptions. And I think going back to what Arfed said about using some visual representations is a great, easy way to overcome that. And other ways is just to be more deliberate at it. You know, don't just say it's a forest. Start talking about the branches, the light and the darkness, the sounds, the smells and and everything else. And before you know it, you've, you've painted a picture another person saying improvisation is tough every gm has to be able to do it when it works and the players feel in control it's great but too often i have the best ideas on the way home after the session and that goes back to what J- what jason said uh i should have done this instead it's like getting into a schoolyard insul- insult battle and coming up with all the best lines after so yeah i mean you're never going to be perfect, you know. You're never going to be perfect. And, and, you know, the more you do it, the more you improv, the better you're going to get. I'm sure, you know, you watch some of these, like, improv comedy. You watch some of these people that have done it, you know, that do it all the time. And they just get really, really good at it. But that just comes with experience. And uh, you're always going to be able to look back and say you could have done something better, I think, too. And so I think that that's normal. And it's good to be self-reflective. So. I would treat that as a positive rather than a negative, to be able to look back and say, I could have done this differently. That's going to help you do it better the next time. And then they also mentioned making NPCs more dynamic. They say they've put a lot of work and experimentation in this one. um, And they watched a Masterclass series with Neil Gaiman recommending a silly hat method of making characters memorable, one glaring detail that makes a character different from others. I think that's a great idea. Um, having a lack of patience—that's uh, another kind of pacing thing. A lot of people mentioning that, and then another person mentioned what Colin Green mentioned: navigating virtual tabletop software and platforms while running a session. You know, and that's another—that's another. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So some of these things have tough answers. Some of these things have don't really have answers and some of them uh some of them just take take practice and experience.
3: Hey, this is Ray Otis of Plundergrounds. I think my biggest biggest weakness as a GM is probably NPCs. I do them well when I put the effort into them, but sometimes I get um it's not lazy, I just kind of forget to invest in an NPC and I don't invent a voice or a um you know, memorable quirk or um you know, rush through explication to get characters to some sort of action scene. So I have to really think about it beforehand and make sure I place good NPCs in my adventure, in my notes beforehand, um, and think about how I want to portray them at the table. Otherwise I won't do it on the fly.
0: Legendary anchorite Ray Otis there from the Plundergrounds podcast. And Ray basically answered his own weakness there, if you didn't notice, um, you know, again, so many people talking about NPCs and or being descriptive. And so it just, and it, it, as Ray was saying, Ray's solution is to be more deliberate, come up with a note, be more aware of it, have something prepared. You know, that's really the only way, unless you want to, you know, just keep practicing practice with improvisation. It was. If you find that's not working for you, you're gonna have to. Even if it's just like I said, a few lists of some characteristics, something like that. Like this other person online mentioned, the silly hat method. That's a great way of phrasing it. Give them one characteristic. Of course, you know you got to make it fit the tone of your campaign or whatever. But or you know, like Ray was talking about, just be more cognizant of it. Have uh, you know, be more deliberate and have just a little something prepared. You know, and sometimes kind of what he's getting to is Ray's gone through it enough and recognizes an issue to where Ray's now doing something to fix it. And um, so, I mean, ultimately, that's that's what this is all about: is being self, you know, self reflection and, and coming up with a coming up with a solution to it. Um, and I think what's interesting is for people to notice that they could do better with the npc descriptions means that they've been at someone's table that did it really really well you know i know i have um and i know i've seen you know other streaming games where someone's done it really really well and i don't believe for a second that they were just doing it completely (laughs) completely on the fly i think they had some kind of ideas or maybe some kind of notes in a lot of the cases to where, you know, they, they have a little something to hang their their hat on. So I think uh, that's a good exercise for anybody to say, okay, before this session, write down, you know, a list of like, you know, five to ten little quirks. And even, you know, most people can improvise enough to where if you just have one little quirk, that'll be enough to where you can cover that NPC and, and, and make it happen. So, Anyway, I appreciate you calling in, Ray. That was a great call. And I saved this one for last. Logan.
4: Hey, Froth, it's Logan. I think my biggest weakness as a GM is assuming that other players want to play heroes. I've had a number of campaigns sort of... Flounder around for a while because I didn't put enough pressure on them and they were totally content to let the world burn around them.
0: That is Logan Howard there from the Swordbreaker podcast. And the reason I saved that one for last because it was kind of unique. You know, we've heard a lot about NPCs, about being more descriptive, about being able to read the table, about pacing, about being better at technology about procrastinating or over-preparing about losing interest in games and here comes logan with with something completely different and this one kind of comes down to i actually listened to it twice to have to have it in my
4: brain let's actually let's listen to that one more time hey froth it's logan I think my biggest weakness as a GM is assuming that other players want to play heroes. I've had a number of campaigns sort of flounder around for a while because I didn't put enough pressure on them and they were totally content to let the world burn around them.
0: So, yeah, what we're getting to there is kind of gets into the tone of the campaign and maybe not discussing the tone or making it clear from the get-go and ending up in a situation where, you know, you wanted a sandbox and now you've really got one. Now you, here, you wanted a sandbox, here you go. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the things that you set up, maybe even the sandbox are not attractive to the players. They're not necessarily playing like heroes or, or whatever else. Uh, Sometimes you can have a game system that will fix this for you. Like one of the greatest, one of the greatest little lines from one of the greatest games of all time in Call of Cthulhu, um, it says that investigators investigate, you know, the game doesn't work if the investigators go, Oh, here's a clue. Yeah. Let's go get a milkshake, you know, (laughs) clue what's nah we're not gonna go follow that clue you know the game only works if investigators investigate and if you've got set up your your campaign and everything where the campaign really only you know quote unquote works if the players are doing something heroic or if they're trying to save the world or if they're whatever going after the bad king or whatever it is that's something that you can't wait you know, you can't wait until you're deep in the campaign to, to, um, uh, to try to enforce because by that time, then they feel like you're taking their, their, their free will and their motivations and their, you know, uh, what's the right word for it? Taking their, um, uh, taking their, um, gosh, pulling a real froth on here. Anyway, y'all get what I'm saying. Their agency, that's what it is. Taking away their player agency. If you get, you know, too far in the campaign, you're like, "Uh, guys, okay, you know, you really need to go after the king. That's the way this is all set up. So that's something that the only way I can see, the only way I can really see fixing that is to have some kind of, even if it's just a minor, but to have some kind of tone set at the beginning and say, look, you know, the way this is set up, you know, you can play anti-heroes or whatever, but, you know, the world is getting swallowed by darkness and it needs heroes to take care of it. So, y'all can do whatever you want in the world, but the thrust of this needs to be y'all trying to take, you know. And if you don't do that, then you shouldn't be surprised when a player doesn't really care about every single in and out that happens. Oh, you know, this town's burning, you know, or... oh. That town got sacked. Oh, the people are being tortured. Oh, okay. Well, but I really wanted to go after this magic sword that you mentioned, you know. (laughs) So um, I think that's a thing that um, you can't assume what the players are going to do. You know, you don't, you can't assume how they're going to react. And sometimes even though you want to fight it and maybe it feels like you're railroading, if you, I, I don't think it's railroading to set the tone of the campaign or to say, look, you know, the, the whole thrust of this campaign is going to be heroic or the thrust of this campaign is going to be, um, you know, and, you know, another game that, that this made me think about when you're talking was, is star Wars, you know, because the old D6 star Wars, you know, some of the kind of archetypes or character types you can play are, are ones that are not necessarily loyal to, you know, any side. They're not, you know, loyal to the resistance or, you know, they're more like Han Solo types and everything. And even in the little descriptions in the D6 thing, it, it foresaw this being a problem. And it writes in something like, you might just want to help the rebels because because of this. It, it throws some little piece in there that can be, you know, try to make them be motivated to be overall on the side of good <laughs> or at least uh, <clears throat> go against, you know, evil. You know what I mean? So, you got to find that little, you know, bear. You know, you got to come up with that sentence buried deep in the <clears throat> in the text to give them before the campaign gets going. If you if you're wanting a heroic tone, because oftentimes the players left to their own devices are not going to play like heroes, much like people in real life, you know. So, anyway, I thought that was a really interesting um, answer there from Logan. So, thanks for calling in with that. And I just want to thank everybody for listening to the show. If you can't tell, I was imp- doing, you know, I was improvising this whole time. You know, you couldn't tell, right? No, <laughs> I'm just riffing on what everybody was saying. But um, anyway, I, I, I just, I, I thought this would be interesting, and and, it, and to me, it is to see what everybody had to say, to see the different ideas, and the way people not only point out a weakness, but what they're doing to. To compensate for it and just to, to kind of have this little chat and it wouldn't have been possible without all the legendary anchorites that called in so y'all i really appreciate you is everybody from ray otis to evil jeff john l large rob c joe richter happy whisk um see Arfed, colin logan jason i think i mentioned everybody um i i there's been a couple of times before like once when I did this solo gaming podcast where i reached out to the anchorites and asked people to call in, and they always come through and I just want y'all to know I was so thankful for some of y'all to uh to do that and participate because this wouldn't have been a a show without y'all so thank y'all so much. you know you can count on me y'all ever need me for something just let let old froth know. I also want to thank all the kind of nameless people i didn't want to you know try to individually ask people if they're cool with me naming them but all the kind of nameless folks that made the show better by responding on social media on me we on facebook on twitter um thank you uh for 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 answering and uh thank you for making this a better a better podcast a better discussion so i think the bottom line is whether we have kind of shared weaknesses which a lot of us seem to feel like we do or whether we have unique problems, uh, the big thing is by looking, you know, by being self-reflective, by being able to point out, hey, that's that's an issue for me. That's like a really important step in anything, any any kind of self-improvement. And by looking at it and knowing it's an issue it gives you an opportunity to fix it or to get better. And I th- really think GMing is, is, is I don't think anybody will disagree with this. It's not something you're ever going to be perfect at. It's not something that there is a state of perfection. Um, it's something where even the best of us, you know, have you know you know, when you have a great session and you know when you've fallen short. And it's always kind of trying to kind of maybe get back to that magic moment, that magic, you know, kind of great session. And, um, uh, it, there there's always going to be something to work on. There's always going to be new games to have to learn. You're always going to have new players, new personalities to mix with. And you're always going to be able to get better at things like being descriptive and improvisation. And there'll always be new technology. So these are endless kind of things to, to work on. But uh, I'm glad that you all shared your thoughts so we can work on them together. So that's what I got for you today. Hope you enjoyed it. If you've got any kind of messages, thoughts about what we've talked about, you can message me on the Anchor app. Uh, You can email me, frothsoftfrothsof at gmail.com. Next thing for you, Sunday, recap. Hey, I'm glad we had this conversation. It probably helped me a lot as I go into the first session of a new mini campaign. Froth University, 1980s horror comedy, East Texas University, Savage Worlds. Very excited. You'll hear a recap of that on Sunday. And I hope you enjoy it. And anyway, thank you so much again to folks backing me on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash ThoughtEater. It's $1 a month if you like what I'm doing. Throw a dollar a month in the tip jar. It'd be much appreciated. Really do appreciate the folks backing me there. And we already heard from the legend once, but Logan... Drop that funky beat. Bum, bum, pj, bum,
4: pj, bum, pj, bum, pj, bum, pj, sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Bum, bum, pj, bum, pj, bum, pj, bum, pj, bum, pj, bum,